Hello, Detroit. Hello, Pistons fans. This is Joey Gaderis, the host of Hoopball Pistons podcast. You'll find me here three times a week on hoop-ball.com and find me on Twitter at Hoopball Pistons. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to talk about our beloved Detroit Pistons who find themselves in a bit of a schedule lull at the moment, having played a back-to-back last Thursday and Friday, picking up two losses against the Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets. And they're gearing up for what is probably going to be, well, what is a a highly anticipated matchup, Cade versus Jalen Green, Pistons versus Houston Rockets. But I would say that the, the hype has cooled a little bit on these two as we see the emergence of Evan Mobley, Scotty Barnes. These are two guys the Pistons are also going to be playing this week. So it's a it's a gauntlet of rookie matchups for Cade. And so we got to talk a little bit about the back-to-back against the 76ers and the Nets. We're going to look ahead. But, you know, this is a great time in the, in the schedule to take a break, zoom out a little bit, talk more broadly about the restoration, including talking about the G League and the 42-point performance from Saban Lee that we got on Saturday night as the Motor City Crews win their first game of the year, 140-117 to against the Cleveland Charge. A lot to talk about there. And we're going to name a player of the week, right? We have a little time to sit back and relax and think. So we're going to name a player of the week. Um, we're going to do that right now at the top of the show. Okay, so my player of the week of October 31st is Isaiah Stewart. Center. Detroit Pistons, 20 years old. Beef, stew. The Pistons played four games this week. And I don't think there was one player that really shone in each game, right? There wasn't one guy that was on fire this week. So this week is definitely more of a an upside pick, a player development pick for player of the week. Isaiah Stewart had two rough games. And so did the Pistons, to be fair. First against the Brooklyn Nets on Halloween, blown out. Stewart plays 18 minutes. He's a negative 13. And then against the Bucks on Tuesday, again, negative 13 on-off split for Stewart in 24 minutes. Just kind of outmatched by the best player on the planet, Giannis. But then Thursday's matchup, a rematch for Stewart and Embiid. A matchup that Embiid won the first time around pretty comfortably. Let me pull up what his stat line was in that game. (laughs) Yeah, okay. In the first matchup of the season for the 76ers and the Pistons, Embiid had 30-18-3. Okay. And, of course, Isaiah Stewart, with the help of Jeremy Grant, had the responsibility to shut him down. And in this one, I think they kind of more or less did. This one on Thursday. November 4th. Embiid 19-9-3, only seven first-half points. And visually, I mean, just when you watch Isaiah Stewart play, that's when he's most impressive, I think, because he's such a high-energy player. That's what we know him for. We didn't really see it in the first few games this year. And then against the 76ers on Thursday, I think he really broke out back to his ways. Right? Didn't break out past the point of what we came to expect. But he looks like what we came to expect. A rebounder who knows how to time his jumps. You know, he's undersized, but he's big. 
and he's strong, right? And using that to his advantage, both to get to the hoop, to score in the paint, and yeah, to to be some sort of opposition to star big men like Embiid. He did it here. He had a nice play in this game where he gets the ball at the top of the key and does a little crossover on Embiid, easily getting to the hoop, easily crosses him up, double clutch dunk. Um, yeah, he was just really impressive in this game. What was his stat line? He had in 31 minutes, 6.7 rebounds, 2 assists, steal and a block on 60% shooting. Only 3 personal fouls is important. But then, on Friday, against the Nets, in only 22 minutes, and this stat line might not sound so crazy. It, it really is not so crazy, right? But only 22 minutes, remember that. 8 points, 9 rebounds, a steal, 3 blocks, 80% shooting, and... Again, he very much passes the eye test, right? The stat line might not jump off the page to you. But in this game, we saw Isaiah Stewart as the heart and soul of this team going up against, obviously, a powerhouse, a juggernaut in the Nets who have two superstars, Durant and Harden, much like Embiid in the first matchup of the year. and uh, Sorry, Harden and Durant had their way with the Pistons. In this one... So again, we're getting another early season rematch. In this one, you felt more like, and obviously it was in this one. It was Kevin Durant that won the game, right? And down the stretch, he's he's a big time shot maker, and it was it was Isaiah Stewart who was guarding him on that last layup to seal the game. But just putting up a front, right? Putting up some sort of opposition to superstars, not just letting them have their best games of the year. That's already some progress. The matchup between Isaiah and Blake Griffin is hugely important from this game. Again, you just like to feel like there's excitement in the arena. There's a reason to watch. And if we didn't, you know, rough Blake Griffin up a little bit in this game... Would we be the Pistons? Like, that's the Pistons' lineage, you know? We play a little rough. Especially if you're going to talk shit, if you're going to be, if you're going to rile us up, right? Blake was able to get some early fouls on Isaiah in this game by, you know, messing with him. So that's maybe part of why he only plays 22 minutes here. But ultimately, it's Blake that fouls out. And so it was a back-and-forth duel. You know, There was a double technical assessed at one point. A great image came out of this game. Isaiah Stewart standing over Blake Griffin on the ground. And so Isaiah really established himself in this game as an enforcer, you know, as our strong man. He might not be the tallest guy, but he's really built, and he has to use that muscle, that weight. He did. He can bully a guy like Blake Griffin, right? Blake is known as a bully. Blake is a big guy. He got bullied in this game by Isaiah. And then also on the other end, there was a funny matchup. Well, throughout this game, there was a funny matchup as well between Isaiah and LaMarcus Aldridge, who, you know, is just, he visually is like the oldest man um, you've ever seen play basketball. His his gait is very silly right now. Um, And the highlight for me from this matchup was Isaiah, I think hitting two, 
nicely chosen, nicely timed pull-up mid-range jump shots. That's the LaMarcus Aldridge special. And he pulled it out against LaMarcus. Um, We hadn't really seen the jump shot this year. I wasn't a big fan of the three-point shooting last year, but he does need to extend his range a little bit. And the mid-range looks good enough. I mean, again, he's really bouncy. He He can tend to rise up over guys to put a shot up towards the iron. I think the more touch he needs the less likely it is to go in, right? So he needs to be a little bit closer, and that's fine. Again, he was only four of five in this game. Five shots is like so few. So they need to find ways to get him a few more shots, a few more dunks, a few more layups, and maybe one or two mid-range shots a game would be great, would be really great. Because if he's going to be that sort of fierce front line, he's got to be out there, and he's got to be contributing on both ends. Isaiah Stewart, player of the week. He's back. I think that's what I'm excited about. We were worried. I don't think there's reason to be worried anymore. Welcome back, Beef Stew. So now I want to switch gears and talk about the G League, the Motor City Cruise. I teased it at the top of the show. They've made their, well, really their first franchise game. They've won the first game in Motor City Cruise history. Saturday night over the Cleveland Charge, 140-117, to 117, and it was Saban Lee. 42 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists, 4 steals, 7 of 7 from the line, plus 22, 24 total shots, 2 three-pointers, 1 turnover, just <laughs> scouring this, 0 fouls. This is like a near-perfect game. It's basically a perfect game um, from Saban Lee, who, funny enough, on the G League website is listed as a power forward, which is obviously not true. Um, but there were also some other interesting lines from this this game, so I want to talk about this game overall. First of all, you can stream G League games on the gleague.nba.com website, which is really nice. They've also uploaded a condensed version of the game, uh, 18 minutes shows you basically every play. That's on YouTube. So how did how did Saban Lee and I admittedly did not watch this game live. Um, I had other things to do on Saturday night. But is Saban Lee must see TV? Is this going to ha- just happen over and over again? I mean, we'll see. I have no clue. I have no idea the level of the G League. I think this is sort of giving me some context for what to expect from the G League. And also, this was the first game of the year. And we know that goofy things can happen in the early going of a season, in the first game especially. Um, A guy like Saban, who's been with the Pistons, is pretty practiced at this point, pretty sharp, and it showed. Also, I just want to mention uh, Luca Garza. This is a guy that I've talked about as a guy who could easily dominate the G League, much like he dominated college. And yeah, he did it here. 24 points, 9 rebounds, 2 assists, 8 of 17 shooting, 2 threes, 3 of 3 from the line. He's a shooter. He's also a really crafty um, back-to-the-basket big when he has a good matchup. You know, in the NBA, he's rarely going to have that matchup. But in the G League, he's going to find it pretty often, I would suspect. 
And then another guy that we are really looking at for his potential to eventually maybe make the Pistons is Jamorco Pickett. 15 points, two rebounds, three assists, five threes. Um, eight of his nine shots were threes. So that basically tells you what you need to know about Jamarco. Um, no blocks, no steals in this game. But he's a three-point, he's a three-and-D wing prospect. And so much scoring in this game, it's really hard to tell what was real and what's going what's gonna to fade away. But to bring it full circle and um, ask the question about Saban Lee, does this game earn him some playing time in the NBA? I don't think it's going to. I wouldn't expect that this game will automatically catapult him into the backup point guard role. As Dwayne Casey actually came out and already said, there was a quote, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, you know, Cade and Killian are ahead of Saban. That, you know, he was remarking on the stat line on this huge game. Um, but I think the Pistons very much still look at Saban as third in line, as that quote would indicate for the point guard position. Um, and, I mean, I didn't see this coming. Did anyone see this coming? That Saban would be so much better than everyone else in the G League that um, he's just getting anything he wants. I mean, these highlights are kind of funny to watch. He's really getting anywhere he wants. Um Saban's throwing down highlight dunks. He's hitting clutch threes. I mean, he's always been athletic. He's always been a high-energy um, point guard who gets to the hoop well. He did that with extreme ease here. I think it was more the shooting that surprised me. Still has a funky release. It's always going to be the thing that I think holds him back. But they were going in a little bit here, two threes, and... If he's going to make the Pistons roster, I think it is as a sort of like a beef stew, you know, just a high energy, pretty long for his position, pretty good measurements, pretty good athleticism, just a hardworking player, which is the identity of this Pistons team. So I think it ultimately should earn him minutes over Corey Joseph. Probably not going to happen right away. Might happen if if this continues to happen in the G League, then it should happen very soon. I would be surprised if Saban can repeat this performance, but it does make the Motor City Cruise must-see TV. And the Cruise are playing their next game on Thursday, November 11th, 7 p.m. against the Wisconsin Herd. You can catch this one on ESPN+. Plus. So I suppose it will not be playing on the G League website, but it is at Wayne State Arena in Detroit. It is the home opener. I might try and go. We'll see. They actually play back-to-back against the Herd. So uh, Thursday and Friday. Might try and go to one of those games. So now I want to close the show with a Pistons rebuild hierarchy. Uh, A stock watch. I don't know what to call this necessarily. I don't know if this is the final form. Probably not. But as I do a a segment about the restoration, I'm going to be toying with questions of the future and focusing a lot on the starting five, Cade, Killian, Sadiq, Jeremy, 
and Isaiah Stewart as parts of the future, as trade assets, as you know, watching whether they're trending up or down. And of course, looking deeper into the depth chart as well to see if anybody is coming for one of these starting five spots. So to start this segment, to give you, just start to do it, right? And give you an idea of where we're going. The most important player on this Pistons team, November 8th, 2021, is Cade Cunningham. There's no doubt before he played this season, the Pistons looked lost, like they needed an initiator. They needed an alpha, a vocal leader on offense to grab rebounds, push the pace, hit threes, just be a jack-of-all-trades that makes the team better. I think all the signs we've seen early on indicate that Cade will and is, will be and already is in some way that guy. But what stands out is the field goal percentage. It's been historically bad to start his career, but it is improving. I do expect it to improve. There's no reason for Cade to be the worst shooter in history. Um, He isn't. He'll be better than this. He's the most important player on the team. Now, looking at who is the second most important player is probably a lot more controversial. I think we can all basically agree Cade's the most important player. So I'm going to go out on a limb and just pick my favorite. And that is Cade's backcourt partner, Killian Hayes. For me, Killian still has the highest potential of anyone not named Cade Cunningham on this team. He's 20 years old. He's got great measurables for a guard. And he's putting them to great use on defense. I already think Killian is the level of defender, the top level of defender that we thought he would be. So that's really good, right? To assure that a guy can get on the court and stay on the court. You got to play good defense. That's first and foremost the path of least resistance to playing time. But where Killian has looked really awful, to be frank, is shooting the ball. Um, last year he didn't look good. This year to start the year he didn't look good. Still he has not uh, really looked good shooting the ball. But he's looked better, and I think in the last few games where he's getting hitting two threes in back-to-back games against the Bucks and the Sixers, he hits two threes in each of those games. He's playing more off-ball now, catch and shoot, and just looking a lot more comfortable. His feet are set. He's not doing too much, not having to move around, not having to get into shooting position on the fly. So these questions about his fit with Cade are starting to get answered. Killian might be a two with some playmaking upside and strong defense. That's an interesting possibility. I don't know. We'll see. He still, to me, he looks good attacking the rim. He has a strong left hand. He can dribble. He can hit guys with crisp passes and knock down catch and shoot threes. He has high steals potential. He even has blocks potential. He's a decent free throw shooter. He doesn't get to the line, but he's a good free throw shooter. All of these things, I think, tell me he's still a very, very top prospect. It's just a matter of the clock ticking on his offense. If he never figures out shooting, if he never can create his own shot, 
if every sidestep three is going to look really janky, there might be a cap on this. I might be very, very wrong. But I think Killian is still the second most important player for what he does, offers as a backcourt partner for Cade, defensive partner, versatile playmaker. All right. I don't want to go too long on Killian. The third most important player is Isaiah Stewart. Beef Stew. I've already talked about him in depth. Don't need to really reiterate all of those things. But he's unlike anyone else on the roster. And the Pistons don't really have a big traditional center or a, a young stretch big. They have Kelly Olinick spelling those minutes and providing an interesting mix of playmaking, three-point shooting for a big. But when you have a, when you have Cade and Killian sharing the court, you have a lot of playmaking. And they, they might not always share the court, right? But you have those two guys, you have a lot of playmaking in those two guys. So Isaiah is more of a finisher on offense. Doesn't need to be doing too much trying to make his own shot. He can be the beneficiary of Cade's gravity and to a lesser extent, Killian's. On the other end, he's a force. He's strong. He's bouncy. He has a knack for blocking shots, getting rebounds. So I think when you look at this roster top to bottom, he's probably the third most unique player behind Cade and Killian. And he offers bankable, not not, a, not an extremely well-rounded game, but what he does well, rebounds, blocks, field goals, he does very, very well. And so those are bankable skills. And that's what I'm looking for when I'm looking at prospect watch, prospect rankings. What, what are they proven that they're good at? Anything? There's no guarantee that these guys are necessarily good at anything. So if you can be good at something or two or three things, that's great. And that's, that's Isaiah Stewart. He's great at three things. We'll see if he can get better at anything else. Fourth most important player in this rebuild. Now, this is another, I think, contentious spot to be picking. Again, based on the, the qualifier of importance. What is that? I don't know. It's highly subjective. I'm going to go out and say it's Jeremy Grant as the fourth most important player. Not because he's necessarily a part of the future. I don't know if he's part of the future. I think Jeremy's 27 years old. Obviously, when we signed the contract, um, it looked like a pretty good deal for a versatile player. A guy who was a high-level defender, who was already sort of a sleeper in fantasy basketball. He wouldn't play huge minutes off the bench, but when he came in, he'd give you a steal and a block, a three. Jeremy has had big nights and bad nights. Against the 76ers on Thursday, he has 27 points, 50% shooting. Against the Nets, he is 0 of 9 shooting. This is the Jeremy Grant experience. It can be wildly fluctuating up and down. He's not a number one offensive option. We saw early in the season how badly that can fail when the Pistons leaned very heavily on Jeremy. And there can still be games where they lean heavily on Jeremy. 
and he can deliver. I think he's much better finishing plays than he is starting them or making them. He's much better getting to the hoop than he is shooting threes or even worse, contested long twos, which is also sort of a a theme for Jeremy. So he's got obvious holes in his game, but he's a veteran with the most obvious strengths of anyone who the Pistons might actually trade. He can be he can defend three through almost five. He's a very versatile defender who can knock down shots. I think his value in a trade is going to be more valuable to the Pistons than if they re-sign him or anything like that. And enough value in, in trading Jeremy that whoever you bring back, even if it's just a draft pick, I'm slotting them in as the fourth most important player. Just that value. Just the value Jeremy has. The potential return for Jeremy. And, I mean, on the floor every night, he is a big reason why this team is able to remain in these games and remain competitive. So I also don't want to undersell his value to the current team. It's probably also it's probably higher than fourth. If you're looking at value to the current team, he might be two or three. But rebuild value, I think he's more at the four spot. So that brings me to Sadiq Bey as the fifth most important player in the rebuild right now. This is going to be controversial. He was an all-rookie pick last year. He made a bunch of threes. I think he broke some records. I think he shot like 38% from three. Those are all really strong indicators as a rookie that you have something here, right? I mean, if 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 a small forward prospect comes in the league, everyone says three and D. Right, And if your guy can hit threes, well, then there's half of that. So we know he can hit threes. I don't know that he's a huge impact defender. I, I do want to mention that in the Nets game on Friday, Sadiq's not, he's really cold through the first half. And then in the third quarter, he basically goes off, including a really nice play, high IQ play, where he's, he's locking down James Harden a sort of maybe uh, discontented James Harden, not totally locked in. He creates a deflection that's rolling back across midcourt. Harden chases it down. He knows if he touches it, it's a backcourt violation. And Sadiq knows that too, so he just scurries up, grabs it from between Harden's feet, and goes and dunks it, completely uncontested. You know, Sadiq, I think, is very much spiritually one of the leaders of this team right and um in terms of playing hard intensity effort he's got that and he's a really high iq player and i think he's going to stick on this team i don't necessarily think that he's going to um you know get shipped out at any point i think they like him i think they're investing in him but is he for sure the starting five i mean sorry in the starting five is he for sure the starting small forward I'm not sure. I, I think there's prospects, right, that are going to come knocking on the door. Isaiah Livers, I really like. Big, I'm a big Michigan fan, and I've watched a lot of Isaiah Livers. I think he's a big-time shot maker. His draft stock got hurt because he got injured. But if he can come back and be like he was at Michigan, really, at Michigan, he was the number one offensive option, if you ask me. 
in his senior year, and he was an, a far above average shooter. So I think he could knock on the door. I think not necessarily Jamorco Pickett, but Pickett is in the pipeline. Saban Lee just scored 42 points. And, you know, I don't think anyone should usurp Sadiq from that list, but they're in the pipeline. There are guys who are going to put up more impressive lines because Sadiq is sort of a boring player. So I like him a lot. He's definitely the fifth most important player right now. But I think the Pistons are kicking the tires on small forwards, power forwards, as they should, right? And in this upcoming draft, assuming they have a high pick, they should be taking a power forward. I've already talked about, I want to trade Jeremy. So there's going to be an open spot at power forward, and there's a bunch of top prospects who are, you know, Chet Holmgren, more of a center, but whatever, front court player. Paolo Banchero, what does he do? I don't know, power forward center. Again, Jalen Duran, power forward center. So I just think that um, there's going to be a lot of opportunities in this draft. And even if they take Jaden Hardy, who does he usurp? Probably Sadiq. So just something to think about. And I think as I come to the 30-minute mark, I've gone too long. So I'm going to wrap it up there. But let me know what you think. Hit me up at Hoopball Pistons on Twitter. I'm Joey, and I'll see you next week.